We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you, 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. You can also check out their website, Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddonalloneword.com. And you can even ask a question there via their listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott. All right, going to start off with proposed changes to CPP. Yes, Canada Pension Plan. Back mm-hmm. uh, back last summer in June, they the all the provinces got together, Ottawa got together, and they voted on increasing the Canada Pension Plan. Now, the impetus of this was the Ontario. Kathleen Wynne was kind of trying to get our right. Ontario pension plan, and saying if you don't, you know, change the CPP, then we're going to come up with our own plan. So. That kind of got things going because this has been dragging on since 2009. Mm-hmm. They've talked about it, saying they should increase it, and nothing's really got it going. And then Ontario saying we're going to do it alone got things going. And that's a very costly way to do it. Mm-hmm. Having a separate plan, separately, separately run, I think the numbers were astounding that what it cost us to not get it in force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, was, it still cost money. Yeah. I think it was like $26 million or something not to do the plan. So you can imagine if they actually ran it simultaneously with the Canada Pension Plan. And then plan. they continued to run commercials for it afterwards. I didn't get that at all. No, like, it didn't seem to make sense. Did they have a contract saying, you know, know, pat us on the back, look what That's we did it. after the fact? Yeah. I, I didn't get that. That would sound like more waste of money. But uh, anyway, um, it, the fact is we have it now. And the CPP is uh, one of the mainstays of you know can or of the canadian fabric of pensions and it's it, it's there it was there to replace up to 25 percent of your pre-retirement income of if your income was about fifty five thousand mm-hmm. dollars okay that's the current plan now the proposed one is there to change is to give you about 33 percent of your income mm-hmm. of that fifty five thousand dollars and they've actually increased the limit on a little bit to 82 or 83, about $83,000. So why have they done all this? That's the big question. Like, why go through all this effort? It seemed to be working fine. Um, the biggest reason is you go back to 1971, defined benefit plans, 48% of males had a defined benefit plan. Wow. 2011, 25% of males mm-hmm. have a defined benefit plan. And th- those are the plans that pay you a guaranteed monthly income. Um, so if you worked, say, at uh, you know Ford or Stelco here in town, um, you knew you were going to get a certain amount per month for the rest of your life. And regardless how you saved during you know your working years, at least you had a pretty good you know backdrop of, mm-hmm. of, of income. And uh, you, 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 a lot of people actually stayed. It was a real key to have employees stay. So the companies really looked after their employees back then. But now, with only 25%, it's, there was a lot of people, of course, a lot of males that were you know, hurting and not saving enough. Mm-hmm. Now, females, interesting enough, they weren't hurt nearly as bad. In 1971 to 2011, there was very little drop. Uh, there was a drop, but not nearly as much. Biggest reason, they were part of the public sector. Mm. They were part of uh, the private sector, so they're working for the government. Yeah. The government, by far... Mm is it's they're the ones with the defined benefit plans mm-hmm. so teachers you know nurses are probably two of the bigger employers and of course there's others but anything with the government still has those plans and they are now interesting enough like the cadillacs yeah of yeah. the plans and they're somewhat indexed some are fully indexed but they actually have been getting away from it because it's uh, become fairly expensive mm-hmm. and there's a bit of an unknown 
because you don't know there's how long somebody's going to live. So that really costs, you know, their longevity factor. Right. Is, is gotten, you know, people are living probably a good 10 years longer than 1971. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, interest rates are so low right now. Yeah. So they have to put away a ton of money for this liability. So, you know, companies such as Ford or, 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 or Stelco here in town is probably the best example because that was, it, it, it may not make them competitive because yeah. they knew they had to pay all this money out to these retirees. Mm-hmm. And it became very heavy weighted at the end. So that's the kind of the backdrop of what caused these. So they needed seven provinces plus Ottawa to approve this and two thirds of the population. So if a province yeah. like Saskatchewan that doesn't have a big population mm-hmm. said, yeah, we want this. Well, you still have to have two thirds of the population. Right. Okay. So currently what happens right now is four, 4.95% of up to $54,900 in this year, you are contributing to your Canada Pension Plan. So that works out to, out of your own pocket, if you made 55,000 say, you would you would pay $2,717.55 off your pay. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were halfway through the year and you, let's say you make 110,000 a year, month six, you've made your 55, you're not contributing anymore. Right. You're done. Right. And you notice this big rise in pay. Yeah. As soon as you're finished paying your Canada Pension Plan. Right. Now, the other side of the coin is the employer matches this. Mm-hmm. So they are also putting in this $2,717 this year into the Canada Pension Plan. So that's the current rules. So the, the total amount going into the CPP is $5,435. dollars mm-hmm. Fairly significant amount um, per year. And that's why you're getting, you know, currently the maximum amount you can get in your Canada Pension Plan is just short of 1100 a month. Mm-hmm. So if you maximize it every year, it works out to 1092 a month. So call 1100 a month and it's indexed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a whole lot of benefits with CPP. There's a disability benefit. There's a survivor benefit. And you can also income split your CPP, which I'll get to. So under the new regime, they want to raise that by 1%. Well, it doesn't sound like a lot. We're going to go from 4.95% of what you make to 5.95%. And it starts 2019. So mm-hmm. you get a bit of a, you know, a yeah. little bit of a break here. So nothing this year, nothing's 2017, nothing 2018, 2019, it's starting. And it's going to be phased in slowly until 2025. And you'll see why in a second, because it is a pretty good chunk of money that will be going out of your paycheck mm-hmm. towards this. So you're kind of getting a... You got to kind of get ready for this. So they're increasing it. Um, the max, first of all, will go to eighty-two thousand seven hundred. So it's right now it's fifty-five thousand. Right. So they actually will take contributions as. So if you make eighty-three thousand a year, mm-hmm. you basically will contribute your maximum right. to the CPP now. And it's a, it's fairly heavy. It works out that on the first fifty-four thousand, um, you're going to be paying. $3,266 versus $2,717. Mm. Okay. Not, you know, that's significant. Plus your employer is too. So in total between the employer and the employee, it's $6,532 more per year, just on the if you make 55000 a year. Right. That works out to about $1,100 more a year. So if you're self-employed, you have to pay both sides of this. Yeah. So you're not only paying the 3200 as an employee, you're paying yourself, you're also an employer and you're paying it 
that side of it too. Mm-hmm. So you will be paying starting in fully in 2025 about $6,532. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not terrible because mo- a lot of people make a lot more than that 54000 The kicker is, is once you get to that 85, you're still paying 4%. Anything over the 55,000, you're paying 4%. So you're not paying the 5.95% the increases to. You have this new layer <coughs> of 4%, which works out to $1,112 as from an employer. So your total contributions as an employee. So if you make $83,000 a year, you're now going to contribute $4,378. Up, you know, from $2,717. Hmm. So it's $1,600 more per year coming wow. out of your pocket if you make 83 mm-hmm. So a little bit over 100 a month. And if you're self-employed, you also have to pay that side. Yeah. So it works out that you'll be paying $8,756 a year or an increase of $3,300 a year. On 83000 On 83000 So it's about 10% of your income. Yeah, it's yeah. actually slightly, yeah, wow. just around 10% of your income. So if you're at that, what they call the middle class now, I guess mm. after, after the latest budgets, and you make an 83000 you almost have to set aside an extra $300 a month. It's actually, it's $275 more a month that's coming out of your paycheck. For then, self-employed. For self-employed people. Yes. Yeah, yeah, wow. Okay. Now, I know, you know, Andy and I, and I talk to a lot of self-employed people, and it's not often we can say, okay, we got an extra 300 bucks a month kicking around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Usually that amount's paid at the end of the year when they file their tax return, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, okay, well, it comes off. It's part of their tax <clears throat> bill. But this is a, that's a significant amount. Now you are going to get uh, a higher amount because of it. And so what's going to happen is you're going to get a, a greater amount of benefit, mm-hmm. but you're paying for it. So I just want everybody to be aware of how much you're paying. So if you made in the you know fifty five thousand dollars right now in two thousand sixteen, and you you're going to start in five years, your your benefits only going to go up by two hundred sixteen dollars because you're not in it very long. Right. Two hundred sixteen. Is that a year? Yeah, the year. Per right? year. Yeah. Annual increase. Per right. Year. Right. 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 So you went from fifteen thousand benefit to fifteen thousand two sixteen in the next five years. In five years. Whoop-de-doo. Yeah, not a big deal. <laughs> and yet you're feeling the pain for those five years. But this is really not for the But I'm helping the future. You are so. <laughs> look at you right. go. And you're going to live a long time. Yeah, apparently. You're going to live to 9,500. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get your money. So you're going to be getting yeah. it back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Something to aim for. Yeah, <laughs> well, absolutely. That's right. You want to get your money's worth, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. I'm going to live long enough, damn it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now, for that 40-year-old that's making 40000 currently, <laughs> they would have received, by the time they're 65... About twenty thousand a year. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to get about twenty four thousand a year. Mm-hmm. There's an actual increase of thirty, about three hundred more per month, mm-hmm. thirty six hundred and change. So you're going to see that as it gets phased in as a long period of time, there's a definite increase. There's more benefit. Yeah. Twenty five years. Yeah, they got to wait. Yeah, twenty percent increase. Yeah, twenty five years. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's 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 a for savings never a bad thing. I don't think any will ever argue on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we and. But it doesn't help those ones that aren't working. And 25% of women over 65 are under the poverty line because a lot of them may have been stay-at-home moms. Right, yeah. So this is really only affecting the women or the workforce, um, which is fine. Okay, they're not contributing the others, but there's a whole other dimension too. So it will help, um, but it is costing you. They are scraping this money away from your paycheck, so you're going to notice this Mm -hmm. uh, fairly drastically as it gets phased in. So you won't, 
that's why they're spoon feeding this over the course of six years. So yeah. it's a 0.2% increase per year over six years. And then finally, you're going to get the full brunt. And for those 80, those people making about 85,000 a year, where about August, you got this big increase in pay because you paid up your CPP. Right, right. You're not going to get that anymore. Oh, yeah. You're going to be getting your, your normal paycheck. And mm-hmm. so it's not that difficult from that because you st- you kind of get used to having that paycheck anyway. Mm-hmm. So, but the self-employed, I, f- I feel the self-employed will probably see it the most. And that's where you're literally costing you per employee. It's costing you about $1,600 more per employee. So, and if you are your own employee, um, you're just paying both sides of it. And, uh, you know, you're, you're paying this extra 300 a month. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you, 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. All right, the burning question, should you take your CPP early? Yes, enough about the new rules. This is what it comes down to. When do we get it? Yeah, when do you actually get paid? Right, exactly. And uh, uh, that is probably the most asked question I get about CPP. Whether you take it early? Should I take it out? My neighbor says, you know, I should take it out early. He took it out early or she took it out early and she lo- he loves it, she loves it. You know, yeah. of course they love it. It's more money. It's yeah. more money in their pocket. Yeah. But sometimes they haven't really worked out the math. And particularly about four or five years ago when they changed the rules, there's more of a penalty taking it out early. And so right now... At what least, is early? What options do we um, have? You can take it at age 60 mm-hmm. is the earliest. The normal retirement date for the Canada Pension Plan is 65, mm-hmm. and you can delay it as far as 70. Hmm. Okay, so you can take it any like you can take it one month early, or you can take it 13 months early. So you any, have lots of options. Any month, 60 months, 60 yeah. months, up to 60 months early from age oh. 65, five years. So they do give you lots of flexibility. Yeah, ton of flexibility, and they penalize you or give you an increase on a monthly basis too. Right. So if it was one month early, it's a 0.6 percent decrease. Right. Okay. If it was five years early, which is 60 months, it's a 36% decrease. Mm. Okay. So let's say you were almost at your maximum Canada pension plan and you're receiving $1,000 a month if you waited to 65. So you now you're 60 and you're thinking, hmm, I should probably, I can get this out early. I, that's a, I can get $640 a month starting now. The question I always ask is, where's the break even? How long do I have to live? in order for this to break even. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what all the listeners should be thinking. Where's the break even point? And so if you take out that 640 now, you will get a fair bit of money between now and the, you know, obviously until you're 65 and mm-hmm. enjoy that money. But all of a sudden at 65, you're not gonna get this increase. It's just going up by inflation. Yeah. And the break even point, if you start at 60, is 8.9 years, which works out to basically, if you live past 74, you will be worse off. Right. Okay. So 74 is is at the low end of the spectrum in right. terms of life expectancy. Right. So, but that's irregardless if you're a female, male, smoker or non-smoker. Mm-hmm. They don't make any change there based on your smoking status or or if you're male or female. Right. So, which is very important. So you look at a, a, a smoking male will live the least mm-hmm. on, on average. 
and uh, certainly 74, they might not make. Mm-hmm. So you got to look at your own health at 60 and say, okay, I'm, I've been smoking for 30 years, and I'm a male, and my dad only lived to like 68, and he was a smoker, and the genes aren't very good. I might want to start taking it at 60. Yeah. Okay. A bird in the hand is better than two in the bush kind of thing. Yeah. But if I'm a, a female non-smoker that generally will live to anybody makes 60, will probably make 85. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're at least around 80. Well, that's a lot of money leaving on the table. So I'll wait till 65. And these are the conversations Andy and I have all the time working this out because, in fact, people say, well, I need to live now. Well, use your RSPs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. Sub- subsidize your income with the RSPs and let the CPP in kick in at 65. And you often are taking out the RSPs at a lower tax bracket. That's my, yeah, my next point would be yeah. you would, wouldn't you? And yeah. so you got to really work out the whole plan. And this is it. It's, it's intricate. Everything's connected where yeah. your income's from. And, and, and getting the proper retirement plan, tax efficient retirement plan, CPP is part of it. So the other question, well, what if I waited till age 70 to mm-hmm. start it? Well, then the break-even point is 82. Okay, so... Probably not the best idea, okay? But not to say it is a bad idea, because you're 65, you say, well, it's 82. Ah, my mother lived to 97, Yeah. you know? And, and instead of getting 1,000 a month, I'm going to get 1,420 a month, because you get a 42% increase or 0.7% per month. Hmm. So definitely something to consider. The other thing with the Canada Pension Plan, very important, is you can split it with your spouse, and this is not done on the tax return like all other pension sources. You do have to go to Service Canada and fill out the forms with you and your spouse. So, for example, let's say you're getting 1000 a month, but your spouse didn't work, stay-at-home dad, stay-at-home mom, and maybe only got 200 a month. Well, what they would do is they'd, they'd total the two together and split it, so you'd both get 600 a month. Mm. That's important because quite often this could help you reduce your taxes under another tax bracket and also can avoid the old age security clawback, which kicks in at 73,000. So it is important, but remember you actually have to apply for this. You can't, every other pension, you simply do the income splitting rate on the tax return. This one is an actual split of your, uh, of the actual check. So you get two separate checks, one to your spouse for 600, one to yourself. So that is it for the Canada Pension Plan right now. And really think this through because there's a lot of money left on the table. We're talking $50,000 in some cases by making the wrong decision here. So it's best to talk to your financial planner about this and get the right advice. It's interesting, you know, when you're thinking about taking your Canada Pension Plan, uh, leaving it till 65, right? Because they would say, oh, I need the money. You know, I want yeah. the money. And you want to start that conversation. Well, let's start taking money out of your RSPs and we'll leave the Canada Pension Plan. And people, uh, they sort of glaze over, right? Because now they're that. thinking, don't want to touch yeah. that, right? It's my money. I, it's my, that's my yeah. cash. That's yeah. my pot of money. I can use that for anything later on. Yeah. If I start, if I use that up and I just get a monthly check from Canada Pension Plan, that's a different feeling, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, so it's, it's, it's often difficult. And of course, people have always been in saving mode, right? They've been putting money into yeah. RSPs all this time. Yeah. And now you're finally telling them, okay, we're flipping the switch and we're going to start pulling money out of your RSPs. Ooh, that sounds like I'm drawing a line in the sand. 
Yeah. You know, like I've, it's suddenly my, it's all changing Maybe it's now. it's the mortality flashing them in yeah. the face. A little bit. Now you know, I'm starting. You're, you're tapping into that. Starting big, to spend the pot of money. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's kind of the, and then, you, then, well, we have this sort of just in case mentality where people don't want to touch that pot of money. Yeah. Just in case yeah. there's something else coming down the pipe that we don't know about. And then so, one, one thing I'd be aware is just in case you want to pay 53.5% tax on that RSP <laughs> is why I'd want yeah, to cash yeah. it in. That sort of makes it yeah. obvious, doesn't it? <laughs> because yeah. if you make over, you know, that 220000 a year, the highest tax bracket now in Ontario is 53.5%. Yeah. Yeah. And this is all taxed upon death, all those RSPs. Mm-hmm. So this is, in our, my way of looking, this is a fantastic opportunity to try to draw this down. In fact, last week I had this meeting with a client and we're drawing it down. He's just simply had a year where he had n- very low employment. Right. So we're going to top up. He doesn't even need the money. Yeah. We're going to use it right. to top up his TFSA. Sure. Because it's going to be taxed at 20% now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because you're taking money out of your RSPs from 60 to 65 doesn't mean you have to spend it all. I yeah. mean, if you're really that, yeah, good point. that freaked, out, <laughs> freaked out about starting to yeah. use it, but yeah. it's uh, generally getting it out at a lower tax bracket is going to be a good thing. All right, I'm just going to um, switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit about estate planning. And we we ran a seminar a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. we had a great turnout. So it was a, a good, great event, great speaker. Uh, we had about 150 guests there. So cool. all in, uh, everybody sort of came away with uh, some insight and a little bit glazed. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a lot of information. Yeah. And I know what we do at all these <laughs> that's meetings. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. She's but a great it, resource. And it, but it reminded me, you know, estate planning is something, it's so easy to just to put it on the back burner, yeah. right? Because it's something that uh, it takes a lot of energy to keep the momentum going, to actually execute. And it's going to, one of my, one of my key things when it comes to estate planning, you know, if real estate is location, 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 estate planning is execute, 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 mm. like get it actually yeah. done because there's lots of estate plans. And I, I remember sharing the story with listeners uh, a, a couple of years ago or recently, in the last little while, but a couple of years ago, a client uh, of mine, a new client who had come in, heard us on the radio, uh, came in and met. We went through their complete financial plan. One of the main focuses for him was an estate plan. He had lost his wife several years ago and now just on his own with uh, with adult children. And so we had put it, all the, all the plan had been put in place and presented to him. And he said he wanted to think about it. Uh, but this looks great. I'm going to, I'll call you back. Um, I just have a few other things to tie up. Well, about six weeks, four or six weeks later, I got a phone call from the daughter saying, you know, oh, I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm sorry to let you know my dad passed away, Oh man! but good thing that we did that estate plan because otherwise who knows where, and I said, I'm sorry, you know, we, we did write up an estate plan, but nothing was executed. Nothing was finalized to my knowledge. Now maybe he, and I said, maybe he did, but, but nothing from our end ever got done. And and in fact, that's where it's at today. That is in court right now. It's been two years. Mm. Uh, siblings are fighting over oh, it, no. uh, over who owns what and who, which joint accounts were meant to be whose property. Yeah. And so, uh, it's a real mess. And now we have siblings that aren't speaking to each other. Yeah. And, and that's one of the worst outcomes that always seems to happen when it comes to, uh, estate planning or a lack of estate planning. And even the intentions, you never really know when, if you're doing something, does it, 
what the ramifications might be later yeah. on. So what is estate planning? Well, basically the idea is that you're, you're trying to figure out a, pro- it's a process where you're going to bequeath your wealth, including investments, life insurance, et cetera, upon death to a chosen person. And the goal is always going to be about preserving the value of the estate. So, you know, you've worked hard to build up what you've got. You want to pass on as much as possible to the next generation. And maybe you want to enhance, enhance the value of the estate if desired. And you want to make sure the delivery and the intended amount goes to the person that you've chosen. And you want to protect it from access by people that are maybe relatives or friends and the tax authorities, obviously, as well. And I guess the main thing, too, is you want to also maintain family harmony yeah. right, through all of this. And and a lot of times people get focused on, we talk about, uh, and we talked about this at the seminar, the little tax and the big tax. Well, the little tax, which seems to be where most of the information and attention gets put on, is probate tax. Mm-hmm. And, and now in Ontario, it's called the estate administration tax, or EAT. And uh, it, it basically is the little tax. And it's 1.5% of the value of your estate. The big tax is your income tax. And the big tax comes when you see people like Don was talking about, RSPs that, uh, that have to be cashed in as of at, at death. Mm -hmm. And as soon as your income goes over $220,000 and there's lots of people with more than $220,000 in RSPs or RIFs, as soon as your income goes over 220, you're in a 53 and a half percent tax back, 53.53% in Ontario. So, uh, you know, more than half that money over 220 is going back to the government in the form of tax. And I know that nobody saved that much money putting that money on the way in because that tax bracket didn't exist in Ontario up until uh, just recently. So so you're paying way more tax at death on your RSPs than you ever saved when you put it in. So that's the big tax and that really needs to be where the focus is in terms of your estate planning as well. The little tax is something that it's, we don't want to ignore it completely, but just think one and a half percent versus 53 and a half percent, which one should you put more weighting to? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's sometimes those uh, little tax planning strategies like joint ownership are easy and recommended to people and it's easy to jump on them, but they might really unravel everything else that you're trying to do as well. So obviously, um, I guess the main thing is that uh, why do the planning or, or and, and why have a will? Because that's where it all starts. And the main thing in the wills, just to remind people, is you're going to be naming executors. So these are people that are going to have the the interest, the knowledge, and the capability, capacity to look after your affairs after you're gone. For people with children, minor children, guardians, the naming of guardians in your will it's absolutely critical. You don't want to leave this up in the air. And, and too often people, you know, laughed somebody, you know, well, I'm going to name Bob and Sue. They don't have any kids, but they've always loved our kids. Yeah, there's a reason they don't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> they like your kids to visit, That's but they right. don't want kids. Right. So, yeah. so you really have to make sure you've obviously spoken to people about do they want to be guardians. And that's something that needs to be revisited because things change. That can change. That can change quickly, right? So depending on the situation, but it's so critical. Um, Making a will. Blended families. Time and time again, this is the number one problem area when it comes to wills and estate planning is blended families. 
I can't emphasize enough, if you're in a blended family, the importance of having a properly drafted will, the importance of seeking out professional help to get that done. And uh, otherwise, it's just, you you, mm. you know how quickly you can uh, create disharmony in a family? Yeah. Bam. Money. Blended and, families. And blended families is is rampant. It's not like this is yeah. just a, a rarity. Yeah. Um, you know, you go to any kind of social event yeah. and you try to find out who's, you know, been married the whole time. Yeah. You know, or there could have been a divorce or, or, mm-hmm. or a death. So you're seeing a lot of blended families, yeah. uh, probably 50%. Yeah, I was about to say, probably close to 50. You know? yeah. So, yeah. you know, you look sideways and you're one yeah. of the two of you are probably from a blended family. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's so true. it does affect most people. And it's one of that people to almost don't want to talk about it mm. because it's, why rock the boat? Everything's good, but it certainly rocks the boat after the Absolutely. fact. Absolutely. Uh, so why should I make a will? Again, common law couples, for sure. Another category, disabled beneficiaries. Um, now, clients of mine, uh, we were actually atten- attended the seminar, and and their story, which we can kind of talk about, is, is interesting too, because... Um, so mother passes away and has a significant estate and she wants to leave a third, a third, a third to the three children, adult children. And uh, so the one son is my client. The sister is, uh, lives in Toronto and the other son is, uh, has schizophrenia. So he isn't capable of managing his right. money. And, uh, so the, and, the, and the mother knew this. So she, in her will, made a provision that a trust would be created for him. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's called a Henson Trust. And uh, the background on that basically is that a Henson Trust allows individuals with disabilities who are receiving uh, subsidies. And in this case, he's living in a, in a subsidized housing mm-hmm. situation. To, and... Um, uh, allows them to still have the asset or the benefit from the asset, but not affect their qualifications for, for example, subsidized housing. So um, the sister doesn't want to be, and, and so the sister and the brother were named the trustees of the Henson Trust to look after right. their third, the third sibling. Well, the sister doesn't want to be uh, involved mm-hmm. in the trust. She lives in Toronto. He's out this way. So it's just going to be a lot more work. She wants to relinquish her role as the trustee on the Henson Trust and just leave it to the one brother to look after his brother. So, and that's fine. And that can be done. There are, there are, you have to, there's only some minor rules there and I'm not a lawyer, but if, if she had already engaged in acting as the trustee, then it'd be a fine line in terms of being able to relinquish it. But at this point she hasn't started the role. So she, her letter, her lawyer can draft a letter of relinquishment acknowledged by everybody. And then uh, the Henson Trust can be established for the the, the brother Mm -hmm. and the one trustee. So um, disabled beneficiaries, vacation properties and businesses, cottages, right? Cottages, 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 and that business of yours. How do you manage that, right? So we'll come back to that. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you. 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're talking about estate planning. Estate planning. Estate planning. And why should I have a will? Why should I make a will? Vacation properties, businesses, uh, charitable giving intentions, and protecting your inheritance if beneficiaries are young or financially irresponsible. And so just to just for reference, if you don't make a will, 
in Ontario and you die without a will, then you're considered to die intestate without a will. And the province of Ontario, as each province, various provinces have their own set of rules on this, but uh, in Ontario, if you had um, a spouse and no children, then pretty much everything's going to go to your spouse. Mm -hmm. If you had, if your spouse had predeceased and you had children, so you're a widow or widower, it's pretty much all going to go to your children equally. Mm -hmm. So if you had three kids, Mm -hmm. one third each. Uh, If you die and you have a spouse and children, then it depends. So if you have, uh, first off, that your spouse would get the first $200,000 out of your estate. Mm -hmm. And then if you have one child, they would get one half of the remainder and your child would get one half of the remainder. So if you had a million dollar estate and one child, you, your spouse would get the first 200,000 and of the remaining 800 grand, they'd get another 400 plus your child would get 400. So spouse gets 600, child gets 400. Mm. Is that what you really want to happen at Mm. this point? Maybe the spouse needs the million to be able to carry on and maintain their standard of living. Absolutely. And, And you know, this is the will that the government has for you. Right. Okay. So this is this is important of of why you need to do it because there is a will. It's just it's not your will. This yeah. is the one the government's it's not imposing. looking out for you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And if you had two children, then then your spouse would receive a third. So plus the remaining would be split amongst your uh, amongst mm-hmm. your children. So, um, and and generally, if one of those children had predeceased and they had gr- and you had grandchildren, then their share carries on. They call it persterpes, meaning it kind of carries down the family line. Um, but generally, these intestate rules end up with your your children probably getting inheritance now versus your spouse. Right. And and in many cases, I said your spouse may still need that capital to be mm-hmm. able to maintain their standard of living. When should I review my will? Well, you want to review your will if you enter into a common law relationship. You want to review your will if you get married. You want to review your will if you have children. You want to review your will if if you have a separation. You need to review your will if you have a divorce. You need to review your will if you have a loss of a spouse or a partner. You need to review your will every three to five years. Now, I'm going to put a caveat on that because you know, what, what Don and I have, will have an annual review with somebody. Inevitably, there's some elo- level of review of what's going on in terms of the estate. And if there's any changes or we see something change, we're going to say that might trigger a need to review the will as yeah. well. And, uh, and finally, updating beneficiaries. And the funny thing is, is that's probably one of the key things that we, if there's anything after this radio show, what you should do is pull out your, your last statements from your uh, quarter end, uh, September 30th, look at the beneficiary designations on all of your accounts and just confirm that they're correct. Because the number of times that they're misspelled, mm. number of times that initials are mixed up, uh, the number of times that it's just the wrong person because you haven't gotten around to changing it mm. is staggering. And that's where a lot of problems actually happen, missed or not uh, updated beneficiaries. And number one thing, update your beneficiaries. And particularly in your group plans, because they don't see those. So you get so much stuff through work. So if you have a group RSP at work or you have life insurance through work. You've already, you created those beneficiaries way back. Mm. And, and quite, <clears throat> quite fl- frankly, a lot of people don't really look at their group plan enough. And yet, without these defined benefit plans anymore for pensions, this is their pension. Yeah. So not only should you be looking at your investment mix and make sure it's proper for you, but those uh, beneficiaries, that's the one I, I do find a lot, Andy, where, where they will 
seem to get all the other investments done properly and they'll get all those updates. Oh yeah, I forgot to put the group plan. It's the biggest one often. Yeah. And so number one thing, review your beneficiary designations on all of your plans. Um, all right, moving on to executors. So this is the individual that's going to be um, looking after your affairs after you're gone. Who should that be? Well, they definitely want to, they should be willing and able to do the job. Uh, so make sure they do have the capacity. They need to be free from any conflict of interest. They need to have a level of maturity and business acumen. And they should be a Canadian resident. They should not be a U.S. resident preferably in the province where you have yeah. passed away. So they should reside in the province where you pass away. No circumstances should they be outside of the country. Okay. Um, so as we think about uh, after you die, taxation at death, this is sort of the process that Revenue Canada is going to look at. They're going to try and determine immediately then what was your income that you earned up until the date of death. So this will include any pensions, any interest you've earned, dividends, etc. And also on your investments, whether it's a cottage, property, um, mutual funds, stocks, you're also going to be deemed to have sold it all and any capital gains will also be triggered at that time as well. There are rollovers and provisions to go to your spouse if you've named your spouse as beneficiary on these things. Uh, and then finally, deregistration of RSPs, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, RSPs and RIFs, which are going to be included in that final return. And again, 53.5% is the tax rate on all income over $220,000. Plus, if you had an income that was low and generally like around 60000 now suddenly they're going to also lose all your old age security as well for that year. It gets all clawed back. Just yeah. as a final slap. <laughs> <laughs> One more knife, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about estate planning when we come back as well. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there via their listener inquiry button. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now and leave a message at 905 at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website, andyanddon.com. We're talking about estate planning. Yeah, we're just sort of helping people as we step through the estate process and the estate planning process. And we talked about the little tax and the big tax. The little tax is probate tax or estate administration tax. And really, the, the, the process of probating, the purpose is really to declare that the will is valid and to confirm the authority of any executors as well. Mm-hmm. So it kind of the probating process is is key to protect the executor for sure. Uh, and there are some scenarios where probating may not be necessary, but generally a lot of times now it's going to be required. It might be required by land title offices in order to uh, change ownership. It might be required by banks. It could be required by the courts if there's litigation going on. And often for the executors to be able to transfer assets to beneficiaries, they also need to have probate probate as well. And the fees are calculated on the value of the assets, less anything that's owed against them. Um, And in Ontario, it's basically call it one and a half percent. The first 50,000, you get a little bit of a break, but uh, everything from above that is charged at one and a half percent. And we do call it an estate administration tax in Ontario. And 
probably the, 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 I guess, property with joint ownerships or direct beneficiaries are the only areas, things, uh, or value of things that aren't going to be included in terms of that probate tax. And so probate planning, or that little tax planning, is something that, uh, I guess, spends, I think, gets spent a lot of time on. But if you think about a million-dollar estate, you're looking at about uh, 15 grand mm-hmm. of tax. Yeah. Uh, whereas a million dollar estate, if that was RSP or registered money, you're yeah. probably looking at about $400,000 of tax. So it it's, again, it's the little tax versus the big tax. Yeah. And I can't emphasize that enough that it's important to talk about and maybe minimize to some extent, but it's not key. Uh, it's not the key to everything overall. So one of the things that people like to do is direct beneficiaries. And I think that that's a um, that is an important strategy to make direct beneficiaries. Um, and I think the the problems, the only problems that can occur is when you're making direct beneficiaries of RSP money or RIF money to a non-spouse because the tax bill goes to your estate, not to the individual who received the money. Hmm. Okay, so let me say that again. If you designate your RSPs or your uh, RIFs to a, a non-spouse beneficiary, the tax bill goes to the estate, not to your beneficiary. Right. Right. And this actually is an interesting point because a lot of people think when, for, for example, if you cash in your RSP and you cash in over 15000 oh, 30% of the tax is withheld. So they just assume that the tax would be paid when they pass it on to a non-spouse beneficiary. Isn't the case? It just goes over fully, you know, just gross money, not non-tax, and the rest of the the big tax bill is to the estate. So, as Andy's alluding to, there'll be a, a nice tax bill the estate's got to pay. Yeah, and so then end up the beneficiaries end up getting treated unequally is yeah. what ends up happening because estate beneficiaries are paying the tax bill, and they're going to get less. Whereas the direct beneficiaries of these RSP or RIF plans are getting the money before any tax is paid. Right. Right. So they get the lion's share, potentially. Wouldn't the same person be getting the money? Not always. In the, not in always situations. Not always. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this, and here's the caveat. I'm going to come back to blended families. Yeah. If you have, if you're in a blended family, probably should not make direct beneficiaries right. designations yeah. because the best thing is to have all the money flow through your will pay the little tax, which is, but now you're going to be able to secure and direct where that money should go and who's going to get it. And it'll all be after the tax has been paid. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what, one of the kind of the examples that you often use is let's say there's a $400,000 RSP and a, say a $400,000 cottage. And they're thinking, okay, well, you know, equally we're going to, the son always wanted the cottage, the daughter says, so we'll give the RSPs to the daughter. So they're thinking that should even out. Right. Well, what ends up happening is the daughter will get the RSPs, no tax taken off. Yeah. There's 400000 Yeah. The son gets the cottage. Plus the capital gains. Bill. Plus the capital gains has to be tax on that and all the estate tax on those RSPs. Oh, wow. Yeah. he's got the cottage. So he has to sell the cottage to pay the tax on both his cottage and her tax bill. Yeah. <laughs> so you better have a close-knit family. You think you might have some problems with that if you're if they're not close knit, and this yeah. is where you're getting so many post death arguments yeah. after the fact, yeah. and it's it's very challenging. And this is why it's taking a little bit of time with a financial planner to go over the estate plan is is crucial. So here are my tips as we wrap up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, tips for your estate planning process: number one, start the process early. Number two, 
talk with your children about what you feel will be the best for them now and in the future. And because this is tricky, that never happens. I know because <laughs> <That> no, <laughs> never happens. All right, ignore. You're speaking Scott. from experience, Scott. <laughs> Let's bring in the old people. <laughs> Let's bring all the seniors. Well, people in don't now. want to talk about money. They don't want their kids to think they've got. Yeah. They're going to be getting all this money, yeah. and so you can just just frame it. And you know what, mom and I are are planning to enjoy our retirement, but there might be some money left over. We don't know how much, but here's what we're thinking. There might be some money yeah. left. All right. <laughs> All right. Use uh, number three, use professional help to develop your estate plan. Your lawyer, your accountant, and Don and I would be involved in this heavily. Uh, number four, take the necessary steps to make your plan a reality. That's execute, 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 which was my number two recommendation. Number uh, six is review your plan regularly. And that's part of what Don and I make sure we do on a regular basis anyway. So despite the fact that you're not going to want to look at it, you're not going to, you think it's going to be, once will. it's done, it's done. <laughs> it, we're going to, we're going to force you to look at it. And what I want everybody to do today is, is check your beneficiary designation. If you can do one thing between now and the end of the year, check all your beneficiary designations, make sure they are correct and they are accurate, and you can fix the ones that aren't, you've already gone a long way to solving a lot of estate headaches and a lot of estate arguments and maintaining family harmony. Hoo-wee, who doesn't want to have these discussions? <laughs> end of the week and wait till the end of the year. Do it right away. <laughs> we have been planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thanks, Thanks Scott. Take care.